Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Today's scripture is Matthew 7, verses 24 to 29. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall. It had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today we're entering a new uh, sermon series called Guardrails. Um, Last year, about half a year ago, our staff went away for a day and dreamed together, uh, discerning who we were forming to be as a community. What are the values that we want to live by? What are the things that we want to keep as a part of the culture that we're building here as a church? And we end up writing out 10 phrases that we end up calling guardrails. And these 10 phrases are phrases to remind us of who we hope to be and who we believe that God's creating us to be as a community. And the reason why we call these guardrails are for two different reasons. The first is because guardrails keep you safe. When you're driving 60 miles per hour down the road and the guitar solo of Bohemian Rhapsody happens or you're texting you shouldn't or you're distracted by your dropping your bag of Pete Terry's fries or whatever, and your car ventures off, the guardrails are there to keep you safe. But the second purpose that guardrails have is they create boundaries to free you. So imagine, if you will, a five-year-old's birthday party at a bowling alley. And they have that you know, little ramp down there, and of course they have what? The bumpers come up. And it just allows that ball to go where it needs to go. And even though it's just going one mile per hour and won't knock over that first pin, at least it hit it, you know? It, it got where it needed to go. And so for us as a church, we, we believe these 10 guardrails are gonna, going to create a place for us to free us to run as a community. It also is, is going to keep us safe when we are tempted to be distracted and derailed by other things, other agendas that are outside of this, that, that we know that we have these guardrails to help us form the culture we believe that God wants us to do. And this first guardrail that we're going to talk about today is actually our first guardrail. And it's this statement right here. We believe that there's no better place to plant one's life than in God's word. That's our first guardrail. There's no better place to plant one's life than in God's word. God's word is an, is an extraordinary thing. The Bible is an incredible collection of stories, of poetry, of eyewitness accounts. It's an incredible collection of genealogy, has wisdom sayings, has songs, has letters, has bizarre end-of-time dreams all penned out. And this collection is written by dozens of authors, unknown number of editors throughout like expansive amount of time, all written on the other side of the world from here. And today it is the greatest selling book of all time. And that 
beautiful collection of writings is either in your lap right now or on your phone. And the astonishing belief that we have as a community is that this ancient collection of books, this ancient collection of writings is the best place to plant your life. It's the most sure thing that you can base your life on is in this collection of writings. It's the most relevant, timeless, instructive gift that God has provided to humanity. It's not simple, but in it contains truth and life. And we all have our own history with the Bible. I grew up in a tradition we were taught to respect and fear the Bible. I remember very clearly in Sunday school, I put my Bible on the ground and I was chastised for doing that, for disrespecting God's word. And also in that, in that home church where I was taught to, to fear the Bible, we had sword drills, which was like competition around the Bible, like who can quote the Bible the fastest or find the right verse the fastest? Can we make everything into competition? Sword drills. And even the pastor sometimes would, he would have a sword check. All right, who brought their Bible with you today? Lift it up. Lift it up. We're doing a sword check today. And uh, that even that phrase, the Bible as sword, that might also be part of your history. Because we've seen how the Bible has been used as weapons. Used been weapons to shame to separate, to divide. We've seen how the Bible is used as weapons to protect with all, with all zeal my position. And so we see how the Bible might have that place in our history as well. Or like Jen, her family, every time someone gets married, they are, well, their most important gift is their family Bible. This gigantic phone book. It's a white book. It's a white Bible with like gold you know, played it outside, and it's just massive. So that was a part of their background, something that was really important to be given. And uh, I grew up understanding that the Bible was God's law. And as a young kid with authority issues, that's like the worst way you could describe the Bible, is this collection of things, don't do this, do this, do this, and don't do this. Which is interesting because the Bible is mostly story. It, it does have, like, you know, specific instructions and commandments, but mostly it's story. I, I actually asked my friend, his name is Sandy, he's a Jewish scholar. I was curious about the Jewish uh, perspective of the word Torah, which is how we, def how we, we they, it's the first five books of the Bible. And I said, how, how do you translate the word Torah, which we trans translate as law? And he said, it's the better tra translation of the word Torah is instruction, that scripture is God's instruction to us. This is how life was created to be. This is how you were created to experience life and goodness. This is, this is instruction for how do you, for how to have a great relationship with me and discover who you are. The Bible is not holding us back from the good life. It's teaching us how to experience it. So for us, as a community, we are going to hold this belief that there's no better place to plant your life than God's instruction of how to live well. This might be the ultimate guardrail. The psalmist described the Bible like this. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light to my path. That's Psalm 119, 105. God's word illuminates our life. It illuminates our path. It shows us how to go the right way. 
One of the one of Jesus' most profound sermons was the Sermon on the Mount. It was in, started in Matthew 5. And it's this incredible sermon that Jesus preached. And at the very end of Matthew 7, Jesus wraps up the whole sermon with a parable, with a story. And it goes like this. We heard it read. It starts off like this. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. This teaches us that the most important decision we will ever make in building our home is not the color granite the countertops might be. It's not the roof. It's what? It's how we choose the foundation. It's, are we going to choose a sure foundation or not? What are we going to build our life upon? This is the most important question for us. And how do we build on a good foundation? Well, Jesus says right here that it's built on our relationship to God's word. Those who hear these words of mine and puts them into practice are like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And something crucial for me as I've studied this passage this week, for me it jumped out like crazy, is the word practice. The word practice God's word. It's not, it's not enough just to, to learn God's word. Or even like how we, most churches and even us, how we might even organize ourselves around Bible study. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 it's actually about practicing it. And I like the word practice too because it, it's, it's going to start off uncomfortable. We're going to miss the mark. But we're called to practice God's word. We're called to live into it. And when we do that without even knowing it, we're brick by brick placing uh, building this home on the, the rock of God's word. Bob Goff is this uh, author. Or women just got done doing a book club on what something he's uh, a writing he came out with, a book that he came out with. And something that I heard as a part of that study that many resonated with many of the women was this notion that Jesus doesn't want us to agree with him. He wants us to follow him. To live like he lived, to to love like he loved, to do what he did. That when we are just agreeing with Jesus, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, what he said, that's good enough. No, Jesus wants us to follow him. That's the whole reason we exist as a church. As we plant ourselves in God's word, we are practicing God's word, not just agreeing with it. And as we practice Jesus' word, we're prepared for something. Verse 25, the rain came down... The streams rose, the wind blew against that house, yet it did not fall because it had the foundation on the rock. Though Israel is not really known for being uh, the climate where there's a ton of rain, there is torrential rain that happens and a lot of Israel is in a valley. And if it's not, if the foundation is poorly designed, it's in the very base of that valley where all of a sudden the streams will rise, the, the storm will come and it will beat against this home. And so uh, we have this warning in verse 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, the wind blew against the house, and it fell with a great crash. We all know that the question is not if the storm is going to come, but when. When the storm comes, it's too late to move your foundation. When the storm comes, you, you can't pick up your life and plant it in a different place. And if it's on the sand, it's going to come crashing down. But I want you to notice the promise that Jesus makes in this parable. 
The promise that Jesus says here is that the house built on the rock will stand. We actually want Jesus to promise something different. Many of us believe that Jesus might have already promised something different, which is this. If we practice God's word, if we do everything God commands us to do, then miraculously the storms will go right around us. We will never experience storms in life. Why? Because we have lived rightly. But we see here that's not the promise. Storms of life come to us all. The storms of sickness, of job loss, of depression, of senseless death, a child who turns their back on God, and around a million more types of storms. And they will come to our home too, regardless where we are. But Jesus still offers us an incredible promise. And that promise is this. As though the storm comes, your foundation will not fail you. Though the storms rage, the rock will hold you up. And so the invitation for Jesus is to build your life on my rock. Build it on my word by hearing and practicing it in your life. I know in my life that this has been a promise for me. That God's word has prepared me. It has directed me. It has warned me. I haven't always done it. I haven't always honored it. I haven't always been faithful to it, but it has been faithful to me. And I want to use the rest of our time just to detail how God's word has been a foundation, been a rock for me. It's been, I just want to, in, my, in a gospel tradition, I just want to spend the rest of this time, can I testify? I want to share a couple of ways that God's word has been the rock in my life. First is the Bible has been a mirror to me. The Bible reads me. There are moments where I'm reading scripture and I see myself in the story. I have denied, I have denied Jesus like Peter. I have ran from God like Jonah. I have complained to God like Martha. I have covered up my sin like David. I have regrets like the prodigal son. And it's amazing when I go into God's word and I open up my mind and my heart, every once in a while a mirror pops up. A mirror pops up and I see myself in this story. Hebrews 4.12, it says it like this. I don't have a slide here, but Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive, alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Listen to this. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Scripture reveals something in us that maybe sometimes we try to hide or bury. It throws up a mirror. And again and again, Scripture does this, but it doesn't just do this to shame us. It shows us the way home. It shows us who we truly are. It shows us how to get back to the rock and get back to practicing God's word again. The Bible has also been a decision grid for me. The Bible, this is the gift of the Bible. It's been a decision grid. Uh, the family of churches w- which we're a part, the, we're part of the uh, family church called the Covenant Church. And it actually began in a revivalist movement in Sweden of house churches, all centered around studying and practicing God's word. And, and these, uh, in Sweden, they were kicked out and they were forced out. So they moved here to America. And as immigrants here in America, they created this network and family of churches that we're now a part of. And this was over 100 years ago. And their most... Their most famous question that they lived out together was a simple question. Uh, Ted, you're in the room. What, what is the question? 
the sweet, the, the covenants. Yeah, what does it say? Where is it written that? What does it say? It always points people. I know I should have warned you. I was going to call on you. Sorry about that. Yeah. Where is it written? What does it say? So in dialogue, you're talking about, you're wrestling with some issue in the church. Every once in a while, you know, I, I've heard this even in being a part of this family for the last year and a half. You have the question, sometimes annoyingly, where is it written? Where does it say that? It always points us back to God's word. It creates a decision grid for us. We, we get to run our decisions through the gamut of God's word. And this is something we're going to do as a church. We're not going to make a big decision as a church without running it through the gamut of God's word, running it through this decision grid, because this is the gift of the Bible. And when we stop asking this question, we might be building on sand. It creates a guardrail for us to know how to live, not only individually but corporately. We get to build our church on God's rock. The third thing that I've noticed God does in my life is God, God's word is also a disruption. We want to say that the Bible is all hunky-dory, it's obvious, it's simple. And it's not been the case for me in my life. More often than not, especially as of lately, the Bible disrupts me disrupts my life, and it disrupts my view of God. I might be alone in this, probably not, but I have spent years making a perfect box in which God exists. And this is how God functions. And this little box is nice and tidy and all systematic. And then all of a sudden, God's word disrupts that. And the way in which I see my life is black and white and the, the clarity that I once have had, sometimes the, the word of God disrupts that too. It challenges me. If you haven't been challenged by God's word, been made uncomfortable by it lately, you haven't read it, if you don't have a complicated relationship with God's word at times, maybe you haven't read it more honestly because it's complicated. And I say that in part to let you know that if there are times where you struggle with God's word, you're not alone. I do too. I wrestle with God's word at times. And what I've grown to understand is wrestling is intimacy. I promise if I were to choose two people, come over here and wrestle, you would grapple with each other, it'd be awkward. Why? Because it's intimate. And I feel like God's word exists outside our comfort sometimes. So we have to wrestle with God's word. We have to seek it in prayer. Maybe we have to talk to someone and go, man, what do you do with this issue? What do you do with this story in this passage? That seems more like a relationship, an, an honest, sincere relationship than a nice and tidy box. I mean, God's word also disrupts my life, my plans, my comforts, my future. And it's a gift to us. Scripture gives us permission to wrestle with God. If you were to read the Psalms, a lot of the Psalms are, is a wrestling match with God. Oh God, where have you been? I mean, if I, could, if I could just collect all my tears, would that be enough for you? God, why are you silent? Where have you been? Why are my enemies winning in life? And here I am. Have you left me? It's like God's word is saying, that is, that is all, within, it's all within the boundaries too. You can wrestle with me. God's big enough for that. That is all there within God's word. Yeah. The Bible is also an anchor for us. 
The Bible works as an anchor in our life. There will be seasons in your life where God will give you a word to hold on to. There will be seasons in your life where you feel like you're living on the sand, where your life has come crashing down, and God might give you a word to cling to. I know when Jen and I were praying and discerning about leaving a church to plant this church with Ted and Tara and a group of people, we were seeking this out, and God gave, I know this sounds uber religious of me, but I feel like God gave me a word for me to cling to. It was Philippians 1.6. This is my screensaver of my phone at the time, right there. And it was Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I had to cling to this word over and over and over again. Okay, God. I'm confident of this, that you're going to carry this on to completion. And I don't know what that completion is. I'm not saying it's success. I'm not saying it's something big. I'm just, we're going to be faithful to this, and you're going to be promised to see us through. That was an anchor for me to cling to, that God sees us through. Even Jesus, when in the desert, when he was being tempted, uh, the, the enemy was coming at him. Three different times he was tempted. Do you know what Jesus said in response to the enemy? He quoted scripture. Deeps in his soul, he had these anchors he was holding on to to keep him, to keep him faithful. And we need anchors, and the Bible gives us an anchor. And lastly, the Bible is preparation. I want you guys to join me in a thought experiment. Let's believe, I know maybe there's some of us in this room who we don't know where we stand with Jesus today. So let's do a little thought experiment. Let's believe for a minute that God is alive and active in this world. Let's imagine that God knows you by name and he has a plan for your life. He's not surprised with what's happened today. He's not going to be surprised by what's happening tomorrow. And like a good shepherd, he wants you to be ready for today. He wants you to be prepared for tomorrow. So what does he give you? He gives you his word that's active and alive. It's, it prepares you for life. And as you come to his word, you're hungry. As you come to his word, he gives you, he gives you truth to live by. He gives you an anchor to cling to. He gives you a direction in your life. Wouldn't, wouldn't God do that? Wouldn't, if, 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 uh, if, if your child was hungry to hear from you, wouldn't you turn to them and give them direction? The Bible for me is preparation. It is used to prepare you for the journey that God has for you. My experience in that uh, is one story. 13 years ago, I had just proposed to Jen. It's my wife, Jen, over here. And this story is perfect for our life together. I just proposed to Jen. That next week or so, we took a team of students to Nicaragua on a mission trip. And on the last day there, we were gathered with our team, and we ran out of flights. We uh, added two students last minute, so Jen and I had to stay back, and we sent our team on. They flew uh, back uh, to Texas, and we had to stay back. And so we spent that morning at a hospital, and here's me with my long hair in all its glory. Yeah, kind of miss it too. Uh, so we spent that morning at this hospital, and I visited with this woman, and and I didn't know any Spanish, which is great for me to lead a team on a mission trip in Nicaragua. And this woman, she didn't know any English. And so we sat there in this lobby of this hospital, and she pulled out her Bible. She was ready for the sword drill. Like, she, she had it, I guess. She pulled out her Bible, and because I was on a mission trip, I put, had my Bible with me. So I was like, boom, check. And uh, she opened up her Bible, 
to a psalm, and she started pointing at it. Psalm 27. And so we spent, I don't know how long, acting like we were speaking the same language. She read a little bit of Psalm 27. I'd read a little bit of Psalm 27. She'd look eagerly and start talking about something in that song. And all right, fine. I love this part. This part's awesome. Have you thought about that lately? And so we were just having this beautiful conversation back and forth. And uh, then we left the hospital and Jen and I decided that afternoon, we had some free time, we decided to take a hike there's a small mountain behind the, the walled-in uh, place that we were staying in. And so here's a, here's a picture of that day. Yeah, Jen's hair was reddish too. How about that? And what you can't tell is that shirt says, the most touristy shirt ever, says, Yo Heart Nicaragua. <laughs> Pretty awesome. And so we hiked up this mountain. We had it timed out perfectly to hike down before sunset. It was perfectly timed. We got up there, took our pictures, hiked down, and two things were wrong. Well, three, if you want to include the Yohart Nicaragua shirt, but two other things were wrong. Is one, we didn't know how dangerous the, the place was we were staying in. A week before, someone was decapitated outside at our, our, the, where, our camp that we were staying in. The second thing that was wrong was we came down on the wrong side of the mountain. And so we timed it, like I said, perfectly. So the sun had set right then. And we began to panic, realizing that we were completely lost. Uh, Jen and I spent the next, I don't know, hours wandering around in the dark. We almost fell off a cliff. Um, we had a wild, a pack of wild dogs try to attack us. But I had my Nalgene bottle, which somehow miraculously fought them off. And we wandered around until we saw the shadow of a wall around this encampment. We're like, oh, we finally made it. Thank you, Lord. You know, God's been good. He's been faithful to us. Yay. We made it back. And all of a sudden, we started hearing whistling around us and footsteps all around us. And within seconds, we were surrounded by men in fatigues with AK-47s screaming at us. And they were all around us. They forced us on our, on our knees with our hands behind us. And we literally had guns behind our heads and the people in front of us cleared out. And I had just got done watching Jack Bauer in 24, so I had a lot of thoughts about what I could do or should do. I didn't do anything. But I really thought, oh my God, this might be it. And the weirdest thing, well, other, they thought we were spies. We had wandered on a Nicaraguan military base. Oops. And... Uh, they thought we were spies. I thought the Yohart Nicaragua shirt would totally debunk that idea, but I guess not. I was, I was really deep in costume. Um, but as this was happening, um, the weirdest thing happened to me. Psalm 27 came to mind. It was like God was preparing me for this experience. Can I read Psalm 27 to you? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me, set me high upon a rock. I am con remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. 
Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I don't know what I would have done if that sweet angel of a woman hadn't read and reread and reread Psalm 27 to me to that day. Especially because Jen was screaming for us to run. Bad idea. But Psalm 27, just like God was, God was preparing. He's like, hey, Mark, you need, you're going to need to hear this today. I'm going to be the stronghold of your life. Even though an army besieges you, take heart. You're going to have to wait on me. God was preparing me for that challenge. It was as if he was alive and active and knew what was ahead of me. And as a good shepherd, he said, hey, you're going to need, you're going to need this rock today. The word of God invited me to plant my life on that day on that rock. And it's the same every single day, even though it's not nearly as dramatic. Please, dear Lord. But every single day, God says, hey, my faithful rock is going to be here for you. This is the invitation for all of us. And the reality is, there's no safer place for you to plant your life than right there in God's word.